Good morning, church. Our scripture reading will start today in Exodus 35, in chapter, Exodus chapter 35, verse 4. If you would like to use the Pew Bible, it is on page 75. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple scarlet, yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skin, and goat skin, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. We continue in verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue, or purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat's hair, or tan ram skins, or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts were stirred, who stirred them to use their skill, spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Our scripture reading continues in chapter 36, verse 2. And Moses called Bezael and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp 
let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. This is the word of God. Thank you, Leslie. We are nearing the end of our series in the book of Exodus. Two more weeks after this, we've been in this book for for many months, and it's been really encouraging for my heart. Uh, From slavery to glory, the Israelites, as, as Moses is speaking, as they're doing the work now of gathering these supplies, they're camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. The fact that they're even still here and alive and that God is still committed to them is an act of His grace. And actually, that, that's been the whole story. That's been the whole testimony of the Israelites, of this whole book, is that God is related to them by grace. God dramatically rescues the Israelites from slavery in Egypt by grace. He parts the Red Sea for them. He provides manna in the wilderness, and, and He provides water, and He gives them His law, His very covenant commitment to them. He gives them detailed instructions for how to build this thing called the tabernacle, where God's presence would come down and live among, right in the center of his people. And he promised them all along, I'm going to take you to a a good land, the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. And stunningly, after all of these amazing things that God has done, after giving them his law and making his commitment to Israel, they immediately turn around and decide to worship false gods, the golden calf. And God has every right to cut things off at that point, to say, look, we're done. I'm starting over with the new people. But no, through God's interactions with Moses, we see that while God does judge their sin and rebellion, he also responds with incredible grace and forgiveness. In fact, God reveals that he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In their sin, God moves toward them, not away from them. Their hearts turned away from God, and now God invites them to show that their hearts have turned back to God truly. That's what they did. We're, they repented, or we, we messed up, we made a huge mistake. We see that our hearts were led astray, God, but now our hearts belong to you again. And so God says, okay, now prove your commitment by giving generously to start the building of the tabernacle. So today's message, giving from the heart. Giving from the heart. The beautiful thing about preaching through books of the Bible like this is that the text dictates the theme of the sermon. In other words, so while you may not want to hear a sermon on giving, and while I may not want to preach a sermon on giving, God's Word this morning invites all of us to hear a message on giving. Plus, I don't really mind talking about giving because it's one of the clearest ways to see whether God really is Lord over our lives. You see, your giving reveals what you love most, what you trust in most. Your giving, what you do with your resources and money, it shows whose kingdom you are building. Your giving reveals what you value most. And here's here's what I want to remind you. Don't we all need that kind of self-awareness? 
Even if it makes us uncomfortable, don't we want to know what our hearts really are about, what they value? Look, even if you're not a Christian this morning, maybe you're still wrestling with Christianity, maybe you're exploring Christianity, this is a principle that is across the board for all of us as humans, Christian or non-Christian, and it happens to come from the mouth of Jesus. Here's the principle. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All you have to do, Jesus says, is look at what you treasure, what you value, what you love most, how you spend your money and how you spend your time, and that will reveal where your heart is, like nothing else will. If I value eating food, which I do, I will give money to pay, buy groceries. If I value a roof over my head, then I will give money for a home of some kind. If I value education, then I will give money to pay for books and tuition. If I value entertainment, then I'll give my money to enjoy a show or event. And if I value the spread of the gospel and making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, then I will give my money to local ministries and the local church to that end. You see, our giving is not just about our money, it's about our hearts, and God is about our hearts above all else. He is after our hearts. Let's look at how this text teaches us about giving from the heart. Lesson number one, all that we have comes from God, so our giving is always a response to God. The first question I had when I was reading and studying this text this week is, why are we even talking about giving right now? Why is this a part of the Exodus story? First of all, because God commands it. Look at chapter 35, verse 4 and 5 again. Moses said to all the congregation, notice all the congregation, not just the leaders, not just the wealthy ones, not just the one who had more, all the people. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring it to the Lord as the Lord's contribution. That begs the question, why does God call his people to give? Does God need their stuff? Right? Is God short on cash this month and he needs them to spot him until next month? Is that what's happening here? No. No, not at all. And I have to say that because some people come to churches and they're like, oh, of course, the church always wants our money. The church always, no, the church doesn't need your money and certainly God doesn't need your money. Why? Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell in it. In other words, all of this belongs to God. He created it all. He owns it all. It belongs to him. God doesn't need our stuff. God doesn't need our money. For the Israelites, God didn't need their gold and their ram skins and their bronze and all that. He didn't need it. And he had already proven why he didn't need it. You know why? How did he rescue them out of Egypt? He did it himself, didn't he? All 10 plagues. He didn't ask for their help. Moses is like, I can't even speak. He's like, I'll use you in spite of yourself. I don't even need you. Who parted the Red Sea? God did, all on his own. Who provided manna, miraculously, every day in the desert? Yeah. Did he need them to do any of that? Nope. God said it himself to Moses in Exodus 3 and then later in 34, I am that I am. 
Moses, who, who should I say sent me? You tell them the I am sent you. The self-existent, self-sufficient one. He doesn't need anything else to exist. He doesn't need their money to build the tabernacle. So, then why does he command all the people to give an offering if he doesn't need it? Because our giving, their giving, reflects an understanding that all they have belongs to God and their giving them would be a response to God. God invites the people to participate in this project as a way of showing, demonstrating that they do trust Him. They do trust Him. Their hearts belong to Him and not to some golden calf that never helped them anyway. They be- it belongs to Him. He's not guilting them into giving. God always calls us to give in response to grace. God brought them out of slavery, right? God spared them from being destroyed because of their idolatry. Where did they even get the gold and the materials that they give back to God now? They didn't. They were slaves. Lesson number one. They were slaves, right? Slaves don't own gold and brooches and ram's hair and skins and fine jewelry. They don't own that stuff. If you remember, they were leaving out of Egypt and God did the last plague and and Pharaoh's like, get out of Egypt, get out of here. And they're gathering their stuff and all the little things they have. And it says that God told the Egyptians, he he put this spirit of fear into them and they plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians were like, get out of here. Do you need anything? And the Israelites were, yeah, I could use some gold and silver and ram's hair and skins. And the Egyptians are like, fine, take whatever you want. And they go out and they're like, woohoo! That was amazing. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. God gave it to them because he had a plan for it. In other words, all of this came from God anyway. God was calling them now to give from what he has so graciously given to them. And I think this is an important paradigm shift for some of us. Do you see your giving as a chore? As just a mere duty of the Christian life? I write my tithe check. I'm doing my duty. No, you you don't get it then. It's not just something you do. It's not just something you muscle down. It's not just, it's like you, when we tell our kids, eat your vegetables, and they have to grumble and complain, and I sit there, and everybody's done dinner, and they're like, okay, I'll eat my vegetables. No, that's, that's not how we're supposed to view giving. Or do you see your giving as a response to the grace of God in your life? Where it becomes a joy, a privilege, a delight. We don't give our money, our resources, or our talents to God out of guilt. In other words, I don't don't say I better give because I feel so guilty. God has given so much to me. Of course I ought to give to him a little bit. No. We don't give out of fear. I better keep putting the money in the box or God's going to get me. No, we give because of grace. We give because we go, wow, look at how much God has given us. Look at how much God has provided for us. What do, can I just ask you this? What do you have that God has not given you? Your, your, you say your talents and skills. Oh, did you design yourself with those kind of talents? Is, are you, that's really amazing, isn't it? What about your passions and opportunities? Did you, do, did you engineer all of those? Like you opened every door that was there, was there and you, you figured out how to, how to get those opportunities? No. Those aren't from your money and resources. Is that all on you? Is that you who did that? I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, Mark, that was me. I went to my job every day. I work hard at my job. 
I restrained my spending so I can save and invest. I made wise choices. Awesome. If that's you, if you're like, that's me, great. Awesome. I'm glad you work hard at your job. You're supposed to work hard at your job. Okay? Praise God. You're supposed to, but it's called work for a reason. We, we work hard for the glory of God. Amen. But listen, there are plenty of people who work hard at their jobs and don't make what you make. There are plenty of people who work hard at their jobs and their house gets blown up. There are plenty of people who work hard at their jobs and they're struggling to make it financially. Your money, your skills, your opportunities, your resources, that's the grace of God in your life. You didn't earn those things. God has entrusted those to you by sheer grace. I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, let that sink in. That you have to start there. The next two lessons are meaningless unless you understand this. The only way you can give to spread the gospel or to give to help the poor and the needy, the only way you can do that with a glad and sincere and generous heart is that you understand God owns it all. Anyway, let me ask you, have you committed to the Lord all that you are and all that you have? Have you said to the Lord, everything I have belongs to you? My children, my marriage, my house, my time, my clothes, my body, my tools, my retirement accounts, my, my car. What am I missing? Anything? Have you said all of that belongs to you, God? Do with it what you will. Do you believe all that you have comes from God and belongs to God? The Israelites did, and that's what motivated their, their giving. They believed all of this, all that they had was sheer grace, and so their giving was a response to God's grace. Lesson number two. Our giving should flow from willing, joyful, and generous hearts. Yes, God commands them to give. But you'll notice that in this text, there is this strong emphasis on them giving willingly from the heart. God wants his people to give out of their desire to share in the work of building the tabernacle. And this is incredible because look, the law that God is going to speak through Moses later in the Old Testament, as he, re as he recounts the law, the law is going to focus on external obedience. Do this. Don't do that. Give a tithe. And, but here, we see this glimpse of the new covenant already at work that God is really after their hearts. Look how many times it says that their giving is from the heart. Verse 5 of chapter 35. Whoever is of a generous heart, Moses says, let him give. Verse 21. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him brought a gift. Verse 22, all who have a willing heart. Verse 25, every skillful woman spun with her hands and they brought what they had spun. Verse 26, all the women who had, whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. We have to ask ourselves, 
am I giving willingly? Does my heart stir me to give? And if not, why not? What's going on that it's not stirring me to give? Do you want to participate in taking the greatest news ever to every person on this planet? That's the question. Is there a willingness for you to give to your local church uh, first and foremost so that the people right here in this community and in this church and in this community so that people right here can go from death to life, from darkness to light? Are you willing to give so that over 200 kids in Awana who come in every Sunday night hear the gospel, learn about God's word and become followers of Jesus? Do you want to give to invest in the hundred students who come out on Tuesday night and Sunday night and are learning how to live out their faith as students, as teenagers? Do you want to give for that? You have to ask, do I want to give to that? Do I, do I want to give to help the dozens of people in our support groups? Divorce care, people dealing with the pain and loss of divorce. Overcomers, people dealing with addictions. Grief share, people dealing with incredible loss. Abuse recovery. Mood disorders, single and parenting. Do you want to give so that those men and women get care and find real hope? Are you willing to support that? I mean, I could go all through all our ministries, right? Moms, right? All, all of us. Do you want to give? You see, the, the Israelites were trying to build this physical building. They knew this is what God has called us to do. But as Christians, our mission is to make disciples. Our primary mission isn't to build this building. This is an incredible gift from the Lord for us to gather, but our mission is to build the church, the people of God. That's why Paul in the New Testament says this in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. The point is this, whoever sows or gives sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As Christians, we don't give reluctantly. That doesn't reflect the true understanding of grace. And we don't give under compulsion. I won't tell you how much to give. And I have no idea how much you give. Do you know that? You know that? None of the pastors know. If you guys, I, I know you give generally, but I don't know at all what any individual gives. That's because our goal is you to give willingly and cheerfully, no strings attached. I, and so I can preach this message, and I have no idea how it's going to hit anybody. The Greek word for cheerful here is the root from which we get the word hilarious in, in English. Hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. I mean, I would love to see people put, uh, not see, but I would love if you're putting your, your envelope in there and you're just laughing. <laughs> this is amazing. I love this, God. Woo! You know, people in the hallway going, woo! Yeah! Not like this. Not online. I don't even remember. I don't know what it looks like to be a hilarious giver, but it does, it, it looks like, it has to look something. It has to mean something. When you understand the grace of God, there's a special joy in giving, isn't there? Some of you get this, you know, there is a joy in it. I've seen this in how many people in our church give so generously. This church gives, joyfully makes meals for people who have recently had surgeries or who are recovering or people who've had babies. This church goes into high gear. Someone needs a meal, I'm going to joyfully make that. And they're good. I've been a recipient of them. 
This church joyfully rakes leaves and fixes faucets and tears down old decks for members who need that kind of stuff. Joyfully. No grumbling. It's beautiful. Look, there's some things that in my personal life, there's some things I spend money on that I take a lot of time researching and mulling over. If you ask my wife, it's really annoying. Like, I am obsessive. I do all the research. I don't just immediately buy a product. I do all my research. I talk to as many people as I can. I wait for the best deal possible, and I will wait, and I will monitor, and I will execute as perfectly as I can to get the best deal possible for the glory of God, I think. <laughs> and even after I buy the product, I feel like my buyer's remorse. Did I buy the right one? Does something else go on sale? My wife is smiling from ear to ear. She, she knows this is her world. Please pray for my wife. I am so weird. <laughs> I'm missing the punchline here, y'all. I do that with so many things. But I can tell you, whenever I give to this church, I never regret it. I mean, not even a half, I'm, I'm being honest, I'm not even a half a second do I have to wonder if this is a good investment. It brings joy to my heart. The Israelites gave in this way. They gave so willingly, and they gave so joyfully, but they also gave generously. Look at chapter 36, again, 4 to 7. They're giving, and they're giving, and these leaders Bezalel and Aholiab are, are kind of leading the work. There's these, there are these um, designers, engineers, what are architects, they're like all in one. And they're doing all this amazing thing as they're preparing to build a tabernacle. And it says the people kept giving and giving and giving. And ver verse 5, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work, they tell Moses. So Moses has to gather everyone together in a members meeting. And he says, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. And finally, the people were restrained from giving. In other words, they have to get, they give so generously that Moses says, that's enough. What would it look like for our church family to give so generously that we had more than enough for the work of the ministry? I don't know. But I pray that one day I get to experience what Moses felt. I pray one day it would be, I could get up in a members meeting and I go, you know what? I have no idea how this works, but like for this month or for this week, we don't need any more. We're good. But here's the challenge. Here's the challenge on the flip side. The challenge is that many Christians in America don't give generously. And I don't know that from the studies of this church because I don't have that kind of detailed account just yet. We're trying to, you know, Greg is working on how, how many givers. And I, I don't know. Here's what I know. The average American Christian gives 2 to 3% away of their income away. 2 to 3%. This is just a recent Gallup poll of evangelical Christians. Only one out of eight American Christians tithe or give 10% of their income to the local church. One out of eight. And one out of every four Christians don't give anything at all. I know that many of you give generously. And I know it's a sacrifice from the heart. And I praise God for your response to God's grace. 
but I also know that generous giving is a huge test of our faith. For many of you, this is, this is the test of your faith. And I, and I also know that the number one reason people don't give generously is fear. It, there's other reasons, greed, selfishness, pride. I know there's other reasons, but number one reason is fear. Fear, 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 fear that I won't be able to pay my bills. Fear, what if I lose my job? Fear of what if the economy gets even worse? Is that possible? I think it is possible. Well, fear, and I know those fears aren't unjustified. I know that. I've been there. I, li- I swim in those. I'm a pastor living in the D.C. metro area. I feel that all the time. And the temptation is to see money as your only lifeline for security or your best lifeline for security. But, and that's, that's, the, that's the rub. It's not. That's why Paul says later in that same chapter on giving, he says, look, let me, let me remind you of this promise. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you think he's trying to communicate something? God is able. Just those three words. Maybe that's what you need to be reminded of today. Do you really believe he is able to supply all that you need in all things and at all times. Often God uses the family of God to, do, to be his provision, to be his hands and feet, to provide what you need. I was just talking to someone recently, and they, years ago, different church, they, 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 this family was in a very difficult spot financially, and there was a lot of shame involved, and they didn't know if they were going to be able to have a home to live in anymore, and, but no one was able to come through. And I want to say to you, if you are in a difficult spot financially, please reach out to one of the pastors, one of the elders today. Our church stands ready as best we can to be God's hands for you. The point is that the call to give generously is not just for the rich, it's for every one of us. 35, Exodus 35.20 says, all the congregation was involved in the giving. Everyone. Not just those who had excess, not just those who were called wealthy, whatever that means. No, look, when Jesus wanted to feed 10,000 people, he didn't ask the rich to finance it. He asked a little boy to offer what he had, his lunch. And then he multiplied it to feed everyone. God does not call us to give what we don't have. If each of the Israelites only gave out of what God had given to them, God can take whatever your small gift is and multiply it eternally. Which means you shouldn't feel guilty for not giving what you don't have. Your calling is to be faithful with what he has entrusted to you. Why is this so important? Because generous giving is an indication that God has your heart. That's the point. That's always been the point. God doesn't need your money, but he's after your heart. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you understand why God calls them to give to the point, to the, at this point in the Exodus story? Like, what is he doing? They're giving of their golden treasures. They had just done this giving of their golden treasures to build a golden calf. And then God forgives them and renews his covenant with them. And now he says, show me where your heart lies. 
Show me the true allegiance of your heart. And the way you can show me that is by using your resources to build the tabernacle where my presence will dwell. You see that? Show me where your heart is, God says. And he says, give. That'll, that'll show me. And that'll show you, Israel. Is it from the heart? Before I command you to do it out of law, are you going to give it from the heart? And so my question to you, and we each have to wrestle with this and pray about it, what represents a gift from the heart for you? What represents a gift from the heart? How much should you give to spread the gospel and care for the needy? I can't tell you how much that is. In the Old Testament Mosaic law, it was 10%. He required of every Israelite a 10% tithe. In the New Covenant, there is no law of the tithe. It's always a matter of the heart. People ask us all the time, does your church teach tithing? No, we don't actually, which is kind of scary. It's much easier to tell people, give 10%, but we will not tell you what the Bible has not explicitly commanded. But here's the catch. Okay, all right, we're not under tithe. Great, we give wherever we want. We're under grace, right? Being under grace never frees us to do less. It always frees us to do more. So don't feel like we get, oh, we, got, we, get, we get all free, no tithe. I can't tell you how much. For some of us, 10% would be a huge sacrifice. For others of us, 10% wouldn't even make a dent. You decide. Each one must give what he has decided in his heart, Paul says. Finally, lesson number three. Our giving reflects the heart of God. When we give from the heart, willingly, joyfully, and generously, that kind of giving reflects the very heart of our generous God. And that's the point. That's the ultimate point. God always gives from the heart. He doesn't give out of law. He doesn't give out of obligation. He doesn't give out of guilt. He always gives from the heart. Look, there's only one thing that can break the grip of money on your heart. There's only one thing that can overcome the fear and spur your heart to give. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why right in the middle of teaching on money and giving in 2 Corinthians, as Paul's laying out how the Macedonians give, not not out of their wealth because they were poor, they gave out of their poverty, and now he's trying to convince the people at Corinth to give out of their wealth, which they were struggling to do. And then he says, here's the best thing I can tell you. Here's the most important thing I can tell you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read this earlier. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul is saying to us as Christians, remember, remember that Jesus was infinitely wealthy in eternity past. Remember that. Let it sink in a little bit. He was rich. Like, gubo rich. What's that? What is the right word? I don't know. Like, uber rich. I mean, he held galaxies in his hand. He ruled over the universe. There was nothing he didn't have. Glory, got it. Beauty, yep. Security, absolutely. Power, unmatchable. Love, peace, joy, he had all. He had it all. True wealth. All the things we think money can buy us but can't, Jesus already had. And here's the point. If Jesus stayed rich, you and I would die in our sins. We would stay poor, and we would die poor. 
And so what did Jesus do with a lot of his wealth? Good news, he gave a tithe. He gave 10%. No, no, no. He gave all of it. He, gave, he literally steps down out of heaven. He becomes a little baby. We have a little baby over here, a couple weeks old. I mean, a little, Jesus was that little. He was like so helpless. So, I mean, the king became a beggar. The Holy One became a sin bearer for you on the cross. He became poor so you could be rich. He, so you could experience all of his beauty and glory and security and love and joy and peace. And we need to come to grips. We need to let it sink in either for the first time or anew. Jesus on the cross dying so you could live. Suffering so you could be set free. Let the beauty and power of God's grace grip your heart. Jesus, God the Father gives his son for you. Marvel at this great reality that you have been given everything, literally everything. The world is yours, Paul tells us. And it didn't cost you anything. It cost God everything. He did it all for you. He loves you. That's the gospel of grace. Unconditional love for undeserved people. And that means, if you understand it, it means you are his treasure, right? As you see him making you his treasure, he will become more and more your treasure. And the more the gospel of grace sinks into your heart, the more you will give joyfully, willingly, generously. Look, when Jesus is more precious to you than anything else, then everything else becomes expendable. That's the lesson for the Israelites. Right here, in the wilderness, limited resources, no means of income, and they give generously. May we learn to do the same in our affluence. I know some of you here aren't even Christians. You, you, you want to understand the Bible. You want to understand Christianity. Maybe you think you're a Christian because you, you follow the Ten Commandments or, or you, you love Jesus' teaching. But look, I want you to know we are glad you're here and you're here for a reason. If you're not a Christian, Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And you need to, maybe right now you need to admit that maybe it's pride or money or something else, yourself, that you have been what you have treasured most. And Jesus is saying, turn, turn, look what I've done, look what I've offered to you, turn so that I could give you true riches, eternal riches, spiritual riches, put your faith in Jesus Christ and experience his forgiveness and his life. Jesus is so much better than money. Jesus offers abundant life now and eternal life forever. Church, just please don't think that this is just about making sure our building is well kept or paying salaries. No, this is about God inviting us to participate in his work of transforming lives. If you read about the early church, and maybe you'll have a chance to read books like I have, if you read about the early church in the first couple centuries, it was their generosity that spurred their witness in the Roman world. Did you know that? Above all else, the account showed that the early church's radical generosity impacted many, and many became followers of Jesus Christ. Our witness in the world is on display by our generosity. I shared a few months ago a letter I got from a couple in our church that came through our Grace Gives Food Ministry. We started this food ministry a few years ago, 
offering food to 30 families a month. It's grown to, I think, over 300 families that we're serving a month. People who come in, get physical nourishment, but also spiritual nourishment, the hope of Christ. And a couple named Rick and Kim came one day last year. They stopped by on the same day they got news of a devastating cancer diagnosis for Kim. And they pull up totally totally shocked. They don't even know what these people are in line doing. And they're like, what's going on here? Let's just go see. They pull up. They start talking to our volunteers. They start sharing their, their, their crisis that they're in. Our members start ministering to them both physically and spiritually. I got to visit with them in their home multiple times. And I sat with Kim in her home one time, her and Rick. And, and she asked me after some conversation, she said, Mark, what does the Bible say about suffering? And I got to start with Genesis all the way to Revelation and share with her the glorious news that Jesus came to to enter into our suffering and to ultimately redeem us from our suffering. And I was able to pray with her right then and there as she realized her sin and her need for a Savior and she trusted Christ. This week I got to visit Kim in the hospital one last time. The cancer had taken over her body. But I was able to... But I was able to pray with Rick and her with confidence that when she breathed her last, which she did two days ago, that she would be with the Lord. You see, the grave has no claim on her anymore. We sang it, but now but do we believe it? That death is not her destiny. Why? Why can I say that with confidence? Because of the generous love of Jesus Christ. And how is that possible? because of the generous giving of this church. Please consider, and I'm asking every one of us, how you can use your earthly treasure to show that Jesus is your ultimate treasure. And let's give from the heart. Let's pray. Father, I know that it is only by your Spirit taking the the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus, and, and working it deeper and deeper into our soul. I know that's the answer. That's the key to transforming our hearts so that we could be generous givers, generous, generous livers. In other words, living and serving in ways that are radically generous and loving. Lord, it's when we behold your glory that we will be transformed. So we just want to behold the glory of Jesus, his dying on the cross as our our glory. May we always have in our hearts that glory is related to sacrifice, to giving, that we will never lose what we give away. May we lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and not lay up treasures on earth. And may you help us, Lord, by your spirit, by your wisdom, to show us what does that look like for every single one of us so that this church can can continue to send shoeboxes around the world, but can continue to grieve with families here with the hope of the gospel and can continue to teach children right here that Jesus loves them. Yes, he does. And so that we can gather week in and week out and unashamedly proclaim 
We don't have to pay for your forgiveness. We don't have to earn your love. It is paid in full by the love of Jesus Christ, and we accept it by faith in him. Faith. May everything we do be out of this faith. Please supply all of our and our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.